to The Winnow, a podcast about dining in the South and beyond. I'm Robert Moss, the author of Barbecue, the History of an American Institution. And I'm Hannah Raskin, food editor at The Post and Courier. All right. Well, this week's episode is going to be the cold, so cold edition of, of The Winnow. Not only because we are cold here. I think, Hannah, a little while ago, you've, you had a, a little scarf on over your, your head there. Uh, the studio was a bit a bit, a bit bit cold when we came in. It's starting to heat up a little bit now, which is which is it's good. So literally, we were cold. But it, more than anything, it's been a little cold spell here in Charleston. Um and, you know, whereas actually, uh, I recall two years ago, I, I took pictures of my kids on, I think it was New, you know, New Year's yes. Eve, in the ocean. It was like 80 degrees in yep. there. Not this year. It's been a couple of weeks of really cold temperatures down into the 20s even. And uh, I just want to say, I never complained when it was that warm. So oh. I reserve all right to complain about it being this cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is definitely cold. And, uh, you know, it, it, and not only cold for like a, a couple of days, but it's been a, a, quite a long Colts now. I have all my sweaters out. In some ways, that's that's great. One of the great things about it is, uh, which you don't get to do often in Charleston, is I get to break out all my cold winter dishes and all my cold winter dining. Um, I've made a lot of soup, actually, over mm-hmm. the past few weeks, which has been a, a lot of fun. What have um, you been making? A little bit of everything. Um, one of the best ones I did was a potato soup, which is as easy as can be to make. You just basically all water. You put potatoes, mostly potatoes, but then whatever else you want, like carrots and onions and things. And you just boil them, you know, 20, 30 minutes till they're soft. Uh, and then I have a uh, immersion blender, but you can do it in a regular blender. You just puree it or, or puree part of it and leave some of it chunky. You can pour a little cream in there if you want to thicken it or to make it more rich or you don't have to. It's good just by itself, a little salt and pepper, a little herbs. Uh, and then little cheese or bacon on top, something like that. That is a wonderful way to warm up on a, on a cold day. So I've been, I made a bunch of that uh, in recently. That was good. Been eating a lot of pho, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing. I had. A, Are you making that? Uh, no, I don't make. That's one thing I've never quite gotten into. I have some friends who do, and they got in, all into like because you, you can get Takes really yeah, <laughs> intense into the broth. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna interrupt for a second. Um, I learned something really interesting um, about a week ago. I, I threw out a question on Twitter that's relevant to this. I didn't get as much feedback, so this isn't gonna be that interesting. Interesting, but uh, I well, asked don't undersell it before you, you <laughs> present. Yeah, I'm I'm great at setting this thing up. Uh, so I, I just threw it out there. I asked people what they like, what recipes they like to cook when the weather's really cold. Um, and I got back a lot of soups, obviously. Yeah. And people started t- telling me about pho. And apparently, you can make the broth super fast in an instant pot. Which is the first time that I've ever been interested in an all instant pot. All of a sudden, pot. this instant yeah. pot anything yeah. in an instant pot. Like like in less than an hour apparently because right, it's, it's a pressure cooker yeah. essentially yeah that's yeah. fun over you know, over the holidays because there's a lot of Instapot uh, you know just media Better. everywhere yeah. uh, I think it was Kinsey Lopez all all kept tweeting Instapot is just a pressure cooker it's use just any a pressure, pressure cooker, cooker recipe right. will work in the Instapot and vice versa right but pressure cooker is one of those things that needed a new name yes. right it's just that, like that, it, that's a that's a that is a a Triumph of marketing. Absolutely. You took what everyone's, you know, mother or grandmother had in the 70s and, the, you know, the, the, the pressure cooker, rebranded it, and now it, it's back. Right. Um, and well, one, more, one more sidebar. So that reminds me, over Christmas, um, my dad got my mom, she wanted a new crock pot, like a slow cooker. He got the wrong one. So then he had to send it back. And then the entire rest of the week, the, that was like the item of discussion was what kind of crock pot. And did she actually want an instant pot or did she want a slow cooker? Did she want a fast one or a slow <laughs> one? Yeah. Well, I well, spent what did a she lot- end up with? We ended up with uh, whatever wire cutter said was the best uh. crock pot. She wanted a slow one. Okay, but As now because Instapot is also a slow cooker. Yeah, right? what was what was annoying was we spent so much time talking about <laughs> it, and then on the 
like the day after we finally ordered it, she went um, and had lunch with some of her friends and then came back. They had just gotten Instant Pots for Christmas, and now she wants an Instant Pot. Of course. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. Well, I, I do think the, the, the fun is something I've always wanted to undertake, but I, I just I don't know to have it. But people do. You can get really involved in what you put in the broth and Absolutely. how long you cook it um, and all the bones It and was the uh, one of the things that they did at an artisan butcher shop in Seattle where fuzz is incredibly popular. I mean, it's one of the things. So Seattle is known for, for teriyaki, um, but fuzz, there's a, I mean, you can get fun every block. It's huge. Um, and so some of the artisan butcher shops started carrying just the stock so you could you know, start your own. So you could kind of, you know, go home and do the simmering, but they would have the beef stock specifically seasoned for, to start your pho. That might work. I, I, don't I, know. I, I guess it's, I, I guess it's, you know, the great thing about, you know, take, take out pho is that, you know, it comes in the container with just the broth and the beef. Right. And then you get to throw all the, the fresh stuff and vegetables, mint and, and the peppers and everything in it. Mm-hmm. And so it is sort of like cooking, you know, <laughs> you mix it up. But it also it's very is it's very fresh flavors and all that, yeah. that kind of stuff. So that's been yeah. one of my, my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely um, cold weather brings out anything that lets the oven run for hours on end and warm up the kitchen. And, and, and you know, so any kind of roasts or braises or anything like that is a wonderful, mm. wonderful cold weather item. Yeah, um, I don't, as, you know, I'm usually eating out, so I don't cook. During, I, I don't cook for cold weather, but I often cook during cold weather um, because it often overlaps with holidays. Although, as you said, not two years ago, yep. notoriously, <laughs> but uh, overlaps with holidays. I got nowhere to go, nothing to do. Um, and so I tend to set the one day of the year that's going to be my cooking day um, and then freeze everything in my tiny individual portions. <laughs> so I did do this recently where it's I cook five or six recipes and they each create like six to seven little meals. You should see my freezer. Now my the freezer, freezer is stacked. It's barely functioning. <laughs> I have so much. So that's the really sad thing is that I've created 42 meals, which I think are not going to freeze correctly. But that aside, that's uh, you know a good way to use cold weather. Well, I do have to. I have a a great fondness for eating in restaurants in cold weather. Mm-hmm. There's something about, particularly if you know, I have very fond memories in New York of of you know, you got to be able to walk a little bit. Outside in the cold, a block or two is good. You know, in Charleston here, you'll park in a parking garage. You mm-hmm. have a couple blocks walk, but just enough to get you nice and cold, so that when you open that door of the restaurant and you step inside, and it's so warm, and you can smell everything. I think the reason I like it so much in New York is because you have a lot of those very small restaurants where you know you don't step into a big entryway. You step right into the restaurant, and it's just like if it's a French restaurant or whatever. You know, it's just everything is in the air, and it's such a like. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Right, right, right. And, and, and so glad to be comfortable. But the caveat today is the restaurant actually has to be warm. And That's I, true. It, 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 it's, it's incredibly frustrating to me how many restaurants are not. So I was at a restaurant uh, in D.C. recently, and it's converted from, it, it must have had a former life as a, it, not as nice of a restaurant. It has one of those sort of front areas with the smoke glass that mm-hmm. probably was like hung with ferns in the <laughs> 80s, you know. And it's not insulated in any way. So they offered us a table there. I was like, uh, it's freezing. And she's like, oh, no, it's fine. We have blankets. Like, what? are you kidding? They actually have blankets? <laughs> yeah, so each, uh, each chair. So you identified there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you're aware of this problem. I, it, it's really, to me, I know, I mean, we've talked before, I think, about like pet peeves and things like that. And I know some people are tremendously annoyed when it gets too loud yep. in a restaurant. For me, too cold is the deal breaker. Um, and I had, as we talked, I was recently up at Husk Greenville. And 
it was the second time I remember wearing a coat throughout my entire meal. And the last time I remember was Husk Nashville. So I don't know what it is with mm. husk and cold. And it is so Maybe they cold. have the wood burning oven back in the kitchen, so they're all very hot. So I maybe they don't notice when they come out. And that must be where the thermostat, like <laughs> yeah, they, it must be throwing everything up. It is so cold. And so I, 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 that's true, though, because now that the flip side of cold restaurant, there's nothing more miserable than when you're eating in a restaurant where every time the door opens, you get that blast that, of cold air. And right. just about the time you get back to feeling comfortable, somebody else comes in. Exactly. Uh, and that happened to me not too long ago here in, in Charleston eating somewhere. And part of the reason you don't get that in New York is because they actually have they're prepared for cold weather. They have those little awning things with the little little doors right. so I mean, that you don't get the blast. I uh, feel that, like that in happens. Chicago, like we even if it's a 12-seat restaurant, you still have a revolving yeah. door. Like it's really hard <laughs> to find a regular door in Chicago because it's the Windy City. It's so cold. So that's yeah, that's the flip side of the South. Yeah, you don't not a lot of restaurants are prepared for a blast they're of cold not air prepared. outside. And it, it, I think I've said this before, but I'm always disappointed by how few restaurants just have a coat rack around because yeah. unless I really need my coat, I hate seeing my coat when I'm eating. Yeah. So but in yeah, the little, just a rack there at the, at the hostess stand goes yeah. a long way. That's all. I yep. do like the uh, you know, sort of diners, which have the coat rack on the on the booths or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's but that's but right. put it both the back right. of your chair is not a great no. dining experience. No. no, no, no. The flip side of that is is bars. Um, I, I can't I can't understand why this problem has never been solved because every year people talk about it and complain about it. Um, but you, if you go out on a cold night, you, then you've got to hang on to your coat. All night, yep. and you're drunk, and that's the last thing you want to do <laughs> because you go into a bar and it's suddenly blazing hot. You got to take your coat off. There's, you're not going to like leave your coat on a coat rack in a bar because it's going to get stolen. Right, but if you're drunk, you better stay warm, right? I mean, it sounds but like- it's blazing hot in the bar, <laughs> and then you leave and go to the next bar, and it's freezing cold, and then you get into the next bar, and it's blazing hot. So, so how would you solve this problem? I don't know. I think the bars just should be warm enough that it's not freezing, (laughs) but not so warm that you have to take your coat off. You need a food hall. You need a food hall. Basically what you need. We need need regulations to to, um, mandate a a common temperature across all all restaurants. We'll we'll take care of that one. Uh, It seems like there's a a way to solve that problem. I'm just not not sure the best way to do it. Because, yeah, you're right. You don't really want a coat rack. I mean, a coat check you could do, but then that's just a big pain. Yeah, you? that's you, you more of like wait, a fancy bar thing. Yeah, yeah and you got to tip and you got to, you know, just becomes a whole thing. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the coat check and bag check where it's actually like a little window or whatever. Some of the you know, fancier places yeah. have that, but it just seems like a pain. Oh, as opposed I like to, it. I'm, I'm happy to <laughs> hang it on that little rack there that they may have by the, the door. Yeah. And it's just one more thing to, to have to deal with. But there is a... The, I'm still all all in in favor of of uh, of, of dining in, in in cold weather, particularly because so like French restaurants, uh, like uh, Coco Vin, all those like warm, wonderful braise kind of things. Those, those are the perfect thing for for cold weather. Oh, right, and I guess that is the up, upshot here in Charleston is it's not cold very frequently. So there are some dishes, as you mentioned, that you don't really yep. want, and you know when it's warm out. So this is an opportunity to tap into some of those cuisines. That, I mean. It's probably a reason we don't have a German restaurant yeah. in Charleston. You know, it's like it is amazing to me that there is no German restaurant in Charleston. As much I love German I love food, German there was a Max food. and Moritz here many, many moons mm-hmm. ago. Um, that the German restaurant in Mount Pleasant, it, it's long gone. Yep. And and of everything that we've had opened up, no one's no one's really tried German. No, and it's delicious. Yes, it is. Well, what, <laughs> real quick, like what is what are the hit lists? What's the hit list for German food? 
there's it's a you know like Wiener schnitzel or schnitzel say, of all pork, sorts. Pork, there's just pork all over yeah. the place. So it sausages actually, and sauerkraut, sausages, all kinds schnitzel, of potato. Yeah, things it's a starch, starchy potato um, pancakes, all those types of things. Starchy and porky. Yep. It's really good. Big flagons and big old huge steins of beer. Mm-hmm. Um, sauerkraut, sauerkraut, the cabbage, rye bread, like uh, yes. all those little like. Um, little seedy spices kind of things, mm-hmm. uh, caraway seed and right. all, that, all that kind of stuff. I would just so associate that. It's a licorice flavor you get mm-hmm. uh, associated with German food. Beets and uh, right. pickled kind right. of things. Right, there's a whole like pink and purple spectrum yeah. of, of German food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like cabbage. Yeah. It's all purple yep. and, and it's right. really pickled and it's right. really, really delicious. Really good. Uh, now I want German food. I know. But, yeah, but yeah. I guess you could really only three or four weeks out of the year would people really pile into a German restaurant. Yeah, Charleston. not a good idea. Here. Not something you re- really want when it's ninety-five degrees and and muggy outside. No. You don't want to go sit down to big plates of you know, sauerkraut and sausages. Right. Well, I was I, I did ask before we started recording, um, and I don't think we touched on it. Why Why do you think spicy food isn't associated oh, with yes. cold weather oh. at all? Well, I think it's probably for the same reason spicy food is associated with hot weather, which is that it makes you sweat. That's that's been the longstanding um, explanation. Right, is that that spicy food makes you sweat? It, it's Cools cooling. You off. It's cooling. Um, I don't know that. I'm trying, to, I'm trying yes. to think, does that actually work in practice? The, the time I really want spicy food for every, if I have a head cold, mm-hmm. which I did over the Christmas holidays recently, mm-hmm. I wanted spicy stuff because right. I you know, sort of sure. opens everything up and gets yeah. a, gets all the stuffiness uh, stuffiness out. I guess that works during the summertime. Do you feel like if you sit and eat? That you feel cooler? You I feel don't cooler, know. But or it, is it just, because uh, it could just be because that's where the spicy things grow or in the hot climates and right. therefore the people who live there right. cook with them and therefore it becomes associated with, with right. hot temperatures. Right. Well, because it, it, whether you should or not, you know, take a big gulp of water when you're having spicy <laughs> food, it does call for like a cooling beverage, right? And no, it's, that's true. You, you, know, do, it, you do pound it, cold it beverages be, Right. Lot. You really do. It, you drink it with beer, you know, light beer, not the kind of beer no. you want when it's wintry and cold. You know, it's, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Or you should be having a cold glass of milk with your really spicy food. Um I don't know. People eat a lot of wings during football season, for yeah, sure. I think though we call it hot, though. It's just it's not really a heat thing. It's just a mm-hmm. difference. It, it's spicy. It's it's not the same thing as hot. So it's not warming. It's in not real way. warming. No, because what's warming is you want to put on fat just as fast as yeah. you can. <laughs> you want, you know? and so, it's the yeah, German food. Right, you exactly. Want the German, or and the, and the potato and, soup you mentioned is yeah. perfect. Oh yeah, like, it's thick. You and just feel the pounds packing on, yeah. and though that's that's really what you need. So I guess that's the yeah. I, I guess it's confusing. It's two different types of heat, right? Know? And one right. one you want heat. in the winter, one one you don't. Right. Like I'm trying to think: Are there any cold, cold like cold weather cultures, like extreme north or extreme south cultures that are known for spicy food, or or not? Maybe that's. Yeah, I think, think that's what Robert any. was getting is that they right. don't have the the ing- ingredients they would. Of course, need. yeah. How would you in Sweden? Mm-hmm. Make a lot of spicy things because everything that is spicy comes from the equator, right? And it's, it's interesting too that they, at some point in the history of their cuisine, they must have shunned that because certainly through trade you can get a lot of things. You oh, know? you certainly, yeah, and and, and, and so th- you know, ingredients that are not indigenous to a place often work their way into what people eat. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case in, in some of these. Yeah, I mean, surely you have a hot chili peppers and hot, hot red crushed red peppers. That's right. been available for right. millennia, but exactly, it hadn't really become part of the the Danish uh, no. <laughs> repertoire. Right. Even though the the Dutch certainly had plenty of spice ships that sailed all over the globe. Great point. 
I guess the closest you can come now that I think about it is there are some some like northern hemisphere cultures that are big on horseradish, which is kind of spice, yeah. but it's it that's got a very different feel, like like in your mouth. It's not the hot kind of spice. Yeah, it's not oily like the like hot peppers are. It's just, it's a different a different kind of heat. But yeah, mm-hmm. certainly a lot of horseradish in, in German food and, mm-hmm. and those types. Yeah. Of I mean, I guess one exception to that is is hot pot, which is so popular in northern China, which is a very cold place. And yeah. they eat hot pot in the winter. And, it, and that often has what I think to the American palate could register as spicy. It doesn't have to. You can have an no, extremely China, the mild Sichuan broth. cuisine, the real spicy stuff is associated with more of the southern Absolutely. parts of the, of the country, not the, the colder northern Correct. parts. Correct. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And actually but, now I can't believe I, I didn't think about this, but actually Korean food is, is quite spicy. Exactly. And Korea yeah. is... They're very proud of this. They have all four seasons. Um, they'll t- <laughs> uh, winter is more extreme than uh, some of the others. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, but what I mean is like their their winters are in, in fact very bitterly cold, and they they do eat some some rather spicy soups during winter time there. Um, yeah, that's what I'm thinking with northern yeah. Chinese hot pot. It, 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 again, I think it would register to the American palate like, oh, that's spicy. Um, but I don't know if that's exactly what you had in mind. Yeah. Like, it, it's not like, you know, when they say we're going to have a cold cold spell, people don't, like, rush the grocery store for hot sauce. It's right, like yeah. That. No, like, definitely. Yeah. Clear out the, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Cold's coming better, you know, stuck up with jalapenos. <laughs> yeah. Well, that does, that does raise one one quick question then. For well, Like, what what do y'all go get? What, what Okay, ah, so we're, we're, we're about to go, we're allegedly about to get three inches of snow. <laughs> so what are y'all going to run to the grocery store and buy? Well, I'm not actually going to because I'm running to the airport to get on a plane. But uh, I mean, I just froze 42 meals. Yeah. Did you go for anything in particular I, well, because it was cold or more just because it was something you wanted to No, cook? because I, I know this is going to last me for the next like four months. I mean, yep. not, it, it, which is optimistic. I'm not going to eat 40 meals at home over the next four months. Not not a chance. Um, but I like it to be, you know, a fair amount of diversity. So I'm like, I'll have an Italian dish. I'll have an Indian dish. I'll have a Mexican dish. You know, like I, I, I try and have a, you know, different different cuisines represented. But definitely if it's cold, though, I'm, and I'm heading to the grocery store, I'm going in for the, uh, the the cheaper cuts of meat, the things you're going to braise and, and make stews out of. So even like stew beef or oxtails or anything like that, and root vegetables, things that you're going to make into stew. I love lamb stew. That's actually a great cold weather dish. So you can get like just chunks of lamb shoulder with the bones in, which is much cheaper than most things, and then carrots I mean, and potatoes, and just go to town. I think. I mean, the question is like, what are you afraid you're going to run out of? Um, so yeah, I, that's I, a funny thing. Everyone goes and gets milk, milk and bread, right. but I'm not too worried about that. I'm you, not, don't, you don't sit around all day and make French toast. No, yeah. and that's not usually. I mean, we, yeah, if you have kids, they eat beer and jelly and drink milk with it. But I don't eat cereal very, very often, so I can get by without milk. If we ran out, it wouldn't be a disaster. Um, I would just have so much stuff in the house, you know, mm-hmm. the beans and things that aren't going to go bad. I'm never really worried that we're going to run out. If I'm going to be um, stuck home for days and days and days, I do want to make sure I have one bottle of wine. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> alcohol. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the kind of, you, you can go through a lot of beer yeah. if you're snowed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's just a, if they, I haven't thought that way because uh, in Charleston, I never think about being snowed in. No. When I lived <laughs> up in, in Greenville, we, you know, when I was a kid, we, we had like a, Gosh, a good week or so where there, it was really hard to get around. You were truly yeah. I remember in. that. Yeah, it was it mm. was a long a long haul. So I was in, there. In that case, though, I think of I do that when we think of hurricanes coming. <laughs> so I prepare right. what the power's out for a week, um, like canned goods and things like that. But yeah, not so much for, for winter storms. I, I just guess it's not a factor of life. Uh, 
I haven't really thought too much about it. Yeah, that's what's so strange about the psychology of it is as soon, like if there's a, fl- a flake in the weather forecast, everybody here runs, and this is south-wide, southeast-wide, runs to the store and buys the most perishable stuff, which makes no sense. <laughs> like I think that people behave as if they're afraid of being snowed in, but really they need to be afraid of losing power. Yeah. Right. So don't buy the most perishable things. Right. Buy the, the least, like right. I think you're right. I, I treat it like a hurricane. Yeah, certainly when they're, yeah, that when they're, if you're worried about power going out, which is in the uh, the south, it's not so bad down here in Charleston, but Atlanta's pretty well, bad a, about it, ice storms. Yeah, exactly. And if the lines freeze. Yeah, those, yeah, you can be yeah. without power for days in, in an ice storm. Yeah, you definitely want something that you can eat without having, <laughs> you know. I've, I've got a lot of running uh, from running. I've got a gummy like energies, like energy gummy something. Tons of them. Oh, the, 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 yeah. yeah, what do you call those? Like, like the power shacks. Yeah, the energy yeah. gel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. That would keep you going yeah. for sure. Exactly. Which is- well, that, that, um, that storm, I don't know if we're talking about the same one in the upstate in like the mid 2000s. No, probably that, that was in the upstate then. So this this oh, is the okay. earlier one back when I. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. No, there was a real bad one back then when I, I was a kid and uh, power was out for a whole week. And it was, and that was also an ice storm. Yeah. Like that's what's really destructive down here. It's not snow; it's ice. Yeah. The funny thing is, actually, when the hurricane came, and also this was for ice storm, things you can cook on the grill is yeah. something mm-hmm. that that right. we get. Because I, I do recall, I remember, I was a little kid in Atlanta, living outside Atlanta when it, we, we were without power for for a long time. My dad was out on a gas grill cooking, yep. you know, and, stuff yep. in the, in the yep. backyard. That's, and yeah. and we've talked about this before. This is why it's important not to rely entirely on an electric can yes. opener. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. I haven't had an electric can opener for years, so right. I'm safe on that front. I've yep. got a I got a good good can opener. I still have quite a good stock of canned goods from the last time a storm rolled through, uh, the hurricane rolled through. So I'd be good. We eat black, black-eyed peas and a lot of fruit, you know, uh, would, would, would last us at least a couple days. It's going to, you know, that episode of the Twilight Zone where the guy, uh, the world ends and then he's going to read all of his books and then his glasses break. Oh, right. <laughs> that's that's going to be me, with your but with canned food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is sort of like the power going out, losing the internet for, you know, what would you do for, uh, for, for three weeks? Right. Okay. Well, speaking of cold weather and going to the grocery store sort of ties, ties us into something that... Uh, Really started thinking about when we were doing our trends uh, episode, but we didn't get to get to trends in the grocery world. But um, I did do a lot of grocery shopping recently with your family coming to town for the holidays, with the cold weather, stocking up, and all that. Um, you know, spent a lot of time in the grocery store. One of the things that struck me as I, I was reading, I've been reading a lot of the news about what's happening in the grocery industry, but then also just as a shopper, it really struck me that the grocery store has not changed significantly. Uh, really even in my lifetime, in terms of the general supermarket layout and the concept of it. Now, what has changed a lot since I was younger is what's in the grocery store. It's certainly like the produce mm-hmm. aisle uh, 20 years ago had a lot less variety. You know, you had red delicious apples and maybe a Granny Smith. You know, you had two variety of apples and, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it, and that's flourished. Um Grocery stores over time added new things like deli counters, which right. they didn't necessarily have, or you know places to, to, to eat in. Um, but the main concept is still largely the same. You still go in the front door, you get a cart, you go to either the right or left, depending on the layout, and you sort of go through. All the perishable stuff is on the outside of the grocery store. And then you got, maybe you have 20 shell aisles now, or used to have 10, but you have aisle after aisle of canned and boxed and you know various packaged goods that, that aren't really perishable. And that, that really just hasn't changed that much um, 
I mean, but that's, that's really a proven format. It's essentially an assembly line, right? You're just going along and picking up what you need. I mean, and well, as you say, the format, I mean, there's now way more devoted yeah. to freezers. I mean, because we were kids, there weren't microwaves. So now, you know, you have. Well, I say, yeah, the, the, definitely the, the volume yeah. and the proportion has changed. Yeah. yeah and the, the sheer number of prepared meals now, frozen aisle and all that is, is crazy. The thing that, you know, and I, I, it, it sort of comes back, anytime I go to a small town these these days and I go to the grocery store there, it sort of feels like I'm in a grocery store from 15 or 20 years ago mm. because they just don't have quite, the, the selection is less. They don't have, the, the meat counter isn't, you know, they, you know, all that much. If they have seafood, like it's rare to find, and, and it, it was rare to, was rare, rare to find in a grocery store 20 years, a full seafood counter. They might have a little bit of, you know, seafood wrapped up with the meat, you know, fish here and there, but... Um, but now most every grocery store has a seafood counter with fish laid out on, on ice and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the basic notion of, of how we shop and all that hasn't changed that much, despite the fact that there is a lot going on in the grocery industry right now, a lot of prediction that it's going to be totally different um, in you know five or 10 years' time, which makes me think if it hasn't really changed that much in 50 years, are we going to see that much change in, in the next five or 10 years, what with all the... Amazon and delivery and everything that right. is going on. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm thinking of, of the supermarket, you know, I used to go to as a kid. And I'm thinking just this past week, I went to the brand new uh, Harris Teeter. <laughs> we have the new Harris Teeter in Charleston. I was really curious to see what they were going to do because I think there have been some advances in the grocery industry. And certainly there have been in terms of um, – display and things that, you know, are intended to make you linger longer. Oh, um, I 100% agree. I, I'm not saying they have any changes. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that what the changes are and how they uh, haven't been well, um, dramatic. What I think maybe you're getting at, which is what was notable to me being in what, I mean, I don't know how long that store's been open, like a week? Like, clearly <laughs> this is, you know, what Harris Teeter thinks is the the, the greatest. And, and they, as I said, they do have these sort of congregating spaces that never would have existed yep. in the old days. But maybe what you're getting at is that you wouldn't know how many technological advances have been made when you walk through a grocery store. Obviously, it's happening behind the scenes. Yep. I mean, the fact that all those things are stocked and coming from so many different places, that's all, you know, technology enhanced. Um, but it's still, they still haven't figured out, you're not walking around with your phone um in the grocery yeah. store, it, it's still not really a high tech. There's been experience. all this stuff, the Internet of Things. Right. You, you were going to have wired refrigerators that would exactly. tell you when you're out of butter and milk, and it would automatically place an order. And you know that the Jetson kind of shopping of the future, where a box just sort of shows up, it hasn't happened happened yet. Definitely in the '90s was the sort of upscaling of grocery stores, which is where and I, I just remember all this. Every grocery store, and I was living in Columbia at, at the time at some point shut down and then either just went out of business or remodeled. And they'd open up and it'd be very deluxe. And that's when they would add the big delis with a bakery where they made their own bread. And suddenly grocery stores had to be sort of nicer places. They just weren't places where you grabbed a loaf of bread and a, some canned goods. Um, so they definitely upscaled there. That's when they started adding cafes and, and sort of you know places to eat in, in the grocery stores. And right, and the ready to eat is huge. It's yeah. huge now. It's a much larger sector. Oh yeah, sector the, the, than the it chicken, used to ro- be. rotisserie, rotisserie chicken, chicken, all that, that kind they of stuff. Have Fried little pizzerias, and, all of that. Yeah. Yep. Did either of you ever have the chance to go to a Bloom grocery store? A Bloom? Never even no. heard of it. So it was a it was a concept grocery store started by Food Lion. Um, I think they only existed around Charlotte and upstate South Carolina. Wow. They opened one right near my my parents' house, um, and I remember shopping there a lot in high school. So the whole it was probably the most radical grocery store I've ever seen, and it has 
is now defunct, no longer exists. The whole um, conceit of it, though, they took self-checkout to a radical Mm. extreme. Mm -hmm. So what you were supposed to do is walk in and grab a price gun and walk around and as you're... Oh, swipe it as you go. Swipe it as you're putting stuff into your cart and then you get to the end... And uh, it's kind of like the self-checkout at Costco. Yep. You just hand them your, your price guide. They take a quick look, make sure everything is, is right. as it says, and then you walk out of the store. Mm. Um, it, was, it, was, it was really neat, but I think it was ahead of its time. The technology was pretty finicky at the time. And I think people, like, the, prob- the problem is, like, it's one of those things that's got to work. It's sort of like Siri or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's got to work. A hundred percent of the time, and if it only works ninety percent of the time, that's too frustrating to people. I think that's probably why it. Yeah, went, went it is like defunct, like but. that, and that's you know where the the whole self checkout thing. There's a time that was the nineties that was coming around, I guess, or, and it seemed at the time like oh the cashier is is going to go away, but that hasn't happened. I mean, your your Harris Teeter, how many uh, checkout aisles? There's probably a dozen or more right. checkout aisles with people checking you out. The, the the scanner is still not really useful if you have more than you know ten or so things. It, it just becomes cumbersome. Right. And so I, it I hasn't. Mean, it, it it's added like it's it's like add like a little express lane to, the, but it hasn't changed the fundamental layout you, of a supermarket. Talk about a need for innovation is the shopping cart. Yeah, th- that, that has not changed, has not changed at all. Mm-hmm. I always I say like I'm always curious, and Emory, I bet you would be able to weigh in on this. Like what what physical object in our lives <laughs> is just unchanged, right? And I always think the fire hydrant. Like, that is just, like, yeah, if you not, knew there, a hydrant in 1958, we don't have a, we don't have a, wire, a Bluetooth, IoT uh, no, fire hydrant. It just hydrant. looks the same. Yep. Everything else, you know, it may perform the same function, but there's been, like, stylized. There are two modes of shop of grocery carts. One mm-hmm. is your standard cart. It's, <laughs> and the other is the broken cart. Well, yeah, the broken one <laughs> with the bad wheel. But they, you got the big basket in the front, the little basket where you can put a kid or you can put little things in it. That's your basic one, and you just right. reach in and out. And then some grocery stores have had the ones that are more like the front flops down. And so when you get – I haven't seen stores like that in a while. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a that while. That was like the innovation. You they will flop tried. the front down and they could – the cashier could just sort of scoop things out of the front. Right, which makes sense. But I don't think that yeah. worked at all. The only innovation I can recall other than that from the last 20 years is they added a coffee cup holder. Yep. That seems to be, uh, you know, people. I mean, definitely you're right. Behind the scenes, the, the, the scanning now, you know, you scan everything, the loyalty yep. cards and all their ability to do metrics and track things and – you know, all, all that kind of stuff, and it, it's definitely, the, the, and all the computer inventory is, is definitely changed the things behind the scenes. But more than anything, that's just driven the margins down. So it becomes this just very highly competitive business with where everybody's just competing to be, you know. I'm still hung up on the cart. I mean, yeah. it, is, it, is, true. it is the most unsophisticated design, and it really is problematic because if you're shopping for a lot of people, as you know, you came and see what's in the bottom yeah. of it, and they know what you're going to buy. They know exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point of loyalty card. Why don't I have spaces to put my frozen pizza? Why don't I have a spot to put the that's true. There is a, There is no space, apart from the cup holder, which yeah. was not a thing right. 20 years ago, That, but once it got the coffee shop in the, uh, or the coffee stand in the grocery store, you had to have a cup holder. Right. That's and, about it. Right. And how weird that we still have that spot for the child. Do they still, do people still put the oh, child? Oh, yeah, I, I like, did. When you I, put the child Not anymore. Front, but, the, but the same, same uh, way. 11-year-old would not be happy yeah. if I tried to do that. Okay, but, same, same way. You just so the... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. The, the one innovation that came along about the time, I, I don't know that, I can't remember if they had them when my oldest kid was an infant, but they, it was everywhere when my younger younger kid was a baby, which is moms would have these little, um, like these cloth 
containers that you would sort of stretch over the inside of the little basket oh. so you could put your kid in it. So oh. like a little bit of a, a little bit a of a padding, sanitary? but a little bit of a sanitary thing. Got so it. Be, the Makes grubby. sense. That's about the only innovation that uh, yeah. that we've seen in that in that area. Yeah. The the French guy who runs the uh, wine section at Costco taught me a neat trick, which is that you flip the the little seat plastic seat right. part up, and then you can put as much wine in that upper part as you want, and it will never fall out. You mean you have the whole thing? Yeah, that whole child seat just becomes a wine section. Oh, right, 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 right. Just right. load it up. Yeah, I, yeah, I do that. I put all my fragile stuff. Now that I put, yeah. have kids in there, I put all my fragile stuff. Right, exactly. You know? Put the eggs. But you got, you got to top. flip the little seat Oh, yeah, up. because yeah, otherwise, right. otherwise it's too otherwise precarious. It's not, yeah, yeah, it's not going to yeah. balance correctly. But, but that, that little flip thing, that's not that's been around forever. That's not, the, the flip yeah, thing yeah, That's not a new innovation. Back. But you're right, the carts are just... Well, you know who has really carts. premium shopping carts is Ikea. What they do is... Most shopping carts are like front wheel drive, mm-hmm. right? They, only the front two wheels can spin around. At Ikea, all four can spin around. So you can just like glide that cart <laughs> any direction. That's interesting. Does, right. it, does it ever get out of control and you just start floundering in there? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works no, well. I like that. Okay, so there's, you know, maybe there is a, they, they still haven't fixed the cart I, with a floppy wheel. I mean, they that, haven't that fixed that. Happens. I think they have, although it, it hasn't bothered me. I think they've done more in the technology of, of um, securing their carts. Right? Like now it says, like, if you take it 500 feet from the store, the <laughs> wheels are going to lock or something. I don't know. I've never gotten into shopping cart theft. So it doesn't. I, I, I mean, really... curious, yeah, I'm curious to see. I don't oh, yeah, the, bi- the downtown bylaw used to have that. And more often than not, I would just get ones that were permanently locked. Right. And then you're just like, well. <laughs> I just carry my cart. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, there are some things brewing in the in the grocery industry, and I'll be curious to see how this this changes it. One of the big things, which I don't know that it, we've noticed as much, um, but it's definitely having a huge impact, is with Walmart and then the other like Target and and those those types. They are aggressively entered the grocery business and have just seized a huge piece of that market. And of course, driven costs or prices way way down yeah. and profits way way down for. Which is has put a lot of strain on the, the retailers. There've been a lot of you know Piggly Wigglies here, and in, in, in the Charleston area went under, yep. um, declared bankruptcy. Sold a lot of their stores. There've been mergers and stores closing because it is becoming a, a very aggressive business. So though the, the the stores themselves haven't changed, the numbers are, are changing, and the, sure. the brands are, are changing. Um, we do have the German and the European uh, models, right. the, the Aldis and the Lidls. Uh, coming to to the U.S. now that we have an Aldi uh, in, up in Mount Pleasant, mm-hmm. it's these are basically this very low cost model where why have seventeen brands of something when you can have one? It's actually and, it's a little more similar to Trader Joe's yeah. in the American format because it is one of those things where you can't always find everything you want. It's it's not exactly as you say. It's not you know one billion yep. items. It's a million items, you know. Yeah, so. and and you know, but it's it's very German. I think you have to pay for your cart and you pay for your bags. Bag your own or, groceries. You know, you bag your own yep. groceries and yep. you know, very you know, bare bones kind mm-hmm. of thing. So you got that coming in. But I think the biggest one is Amazon buying Whole Foods. Right. Um, you, you're now getting these the, the delivery companies really starting to move into that. I'd be curious to see what happens there. I, I have a suspicion that what will happen is that you know you'll you'll get this tiering where you go to your Amazons or your Walmarts, whatever, to get certain staple type of non-perishable renewable things. Mm-hmm. And you'll still go to the grocery store if you want to get 
uh, a lot of produce and meat and, and, and that kind of thing. But we'll see. It how could that... be. And it could be. I mean, if it catches on the way it looks like it will, it should be a major boon for farmers markets and things like that, where the, the whole complaint is you can't get the essential. Yeah. So, like, so you start getting you have high, the sign, like all the commodity stuff. Right. Just have a drone deliver it to my doorstep. Exactly. And I'll go to the farmer's market and, and pick the right. Talk Super to my nice butcher. local things and, yeah, pet the cow that yep. <laughs> next week will be my, my yep. steak and all, all that kind of stuff. One of the interesting predictions that the industry analysts uh, were making for 2018 uh, as we were reviewing that kind of stuff, they're really predicting in the grocery business a lot more, not just in-store dining because there have been – it's always been – well, not always, but for the yeah. past two decades, there's been the delis and places you get fried chicken and things. But that getting nicer and nicer, which you sort of saw with Whole Foods has had this – Fancy wine bars. buffet. Yeah. yeah, but now the drinking is actually right. the, the in-store drinking, wine bars, beer, and everything else, um, which sort of goes back to what we were talking, I think, last episode about these sort of one-stop shop kind of places mm-hmm. where do you really want to go to the grocery store, sit down, have a meal, and drink some wine, and then go pick well, up a few things? Or? If it's really cold out, you probably yeah, maybe do. so. Maybe so. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but online purchasing is, is obviously a, a big, big trend. I'll be curious to see, though, does that mean – um, it changes the the like your, your typical Publix, Harris Teeter, Milo type grocery store just disappears, and we have something totally different. Or will it be we just again the proportions shift so that you know you're going your toilet yes. paper and your you know your your box cereal is coming from uh, the online retailer delivery folks, and you'll go to the store with your cart, which will be the same cart as it always was. <laughs> the cart will never change. Maybe, and you'll just maybe put I'll special like things that. in it. We'll yeah, get real sentimental about the cart. <laughs> I would. I don't. I, I wouldn't mind that. That that is still. I still feel like there's that. There's still that gap in in the, the market where you, it's very hard to go get. The specialty meats, specialty mm-hmm. produce, um, or you know, locally grown, interesting, you know, heirloom kind of produce. It, it's just not something that has. You got the set. You got the Saturday farmers market, which you, you can go and get them there. And there's a couple, especially butcher shops here and there. But there's not. It's not a regular neighborhood thing where you can go get that kind of stuff. So I'd be curious to see does that change or or, or not as uh, as the, the retail landscape shifts. Um, I might go in for that if, if you know, if, if pushing my cart along the aisle, I had like a wonderful choice of things uh, of really delicious, uh, good food to choose from. I could probably go for that change. So one of the things I've always wondered is why out of all the kinds of stores in this country, are grocery stores still predominantly regional? Like, like Whole Foods is yeah. basically the only nationwide, truly nationwide chain. Like every region you go to everybody has like their own like here everybody you've got like a vic card you go out to colorado everyone's like mm-hmm. oh it's like a king supers card right. you know or, or you in atlanta it's a kroger card you know like why why isn't there now that the, there are like holding companies that are national but why isn't there a why isn't kroger a national brand like walmart or target is that, that's a great question i know there i'm sure there's an answer to it i'm just not sure sure what it is um certainly you know walmart's becoming a national you know, grocery powerhouse. Um, so we're starting to, to move that direction. And certainly the trend has been over time, you, you had small uh, little local chains that get bought up into bigger, right. bigger. Right, you had to buy out. I mean, because I do feel like groceries are one thing that every town had to have. Yeah. I guess this is true too with gas stations, and that's been fully national as well, yeah. international. But um, so, right, so you went through like the IGA and then to – 
Yeah, and then you know at some point like Publix and Harris Teeter, they, they went on a buying spree. They bought right. all these little local ones, and you know every little town had like their mom and pop. Like we have a three or four store chain, you know the red and white grocery store that got mm-hmm. bought by Milo at some point. So I, I, it may just be that it, it's happening. It's just ha- has taken a long, long time. But the curious thing is that groceries were really the first chain stores um, historically. You know th- that started in the twenties. There was a Big outcry in the 20s when Piggly Wiggly, among others, um, Memphis-based Piggly Wiggly, started really creating these chain supermarkets and right. putting all the local grocers out of business. There was actually a lot of legislation proposed to fight that. And it was seen as, well, obviously the retailers, local retailers thought it was a very bad thing. Um, obviously, they also lost, and <laughs> the, the chain grocery stores grew and grew. But you're right. It's still, it's still even like a Publix or a Harris Teeter, which has a broad reach in terms of numbers, it's still very regional. Isn't Maybe they can't agree on the shopping cart design. Maybe they're each just a little each bit different. Each a little different. bit different. Well, it seems like, they're, 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 like I said, it's almost a cookie-cutter format. It does seem that it way. There's seem... Something, I mean, there is there is loyalty and there is you know regional identification yeah. with these things. Um, yeah, I, there's got to be an answer, and I don't oh, know it. We'll look into that and see well, what Well, I mean, just to, to further my, my befuddlement here, I'm going to give you the uh, – top five retailers in the country, and you tell me which one isn't like the others. So number one <laughs> is Walmart, number two is Kroger, number three is Costco, number four is Target, number five is the Home Depot. Huh. Only one of those does not exist in Charleston. Right, but Kroger has companies that aren't called Kroger, right? Sure, okay. yeah. I, I, I just think that's weird. Like, all of these all of these are national brands except Kroger. Right, <laughs> right. I don't know. Like they, they, Kroger, Kroger doesn't even exist at all in South Carolina, as far right. as I know. Uh, there's some in Columbia. Oh, there are? Um, okay. Yeah, because there was one That's, near my house. Yeah. I live in Columbia. Okay. But, but a... it's, it's spotty, for, yeah. for sure. I don't know. I don't know the answer to, to that one. I, I do think there is a lot of le- regional or loyalty to your local grocery Absolutely. store. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I grew up going to Kroger's. Kroger's is our, our really our only choice unless we fact, go- just over the holidays, we have family visiting from out of town. Yeah. Like, what grocery stores do you have here? Well, we have Harris Teeter <laughs> yeah. and we have Publix. So which Harris one do you go Kroger. to? You're like, yeah. you know, yeah, it, it, honestly, they're they're all pretty much the same. They're all pretty much the same. But I so we had the choice was always between Kroger's and Farmer Jacks. Did it? Did no, that, never yeah, okay. Farmer Jacks. Farmer Jacks. <laughs> and then Bushes opened. Bushes. Is that Bushes? Mm-hmm. No, and that wasn't long ago. And so I, I and I think. Farmer Jacks is no more. Bushes remains. And so, yeah, so now it's divided loyalty. There is a curious regional loyalty to which store you like to go to. When I lived Uh, in Mississippi, I used to shop at the Jitney Jungle. The Jitney Jungle? I don't know if that's still. That was a chain in uh, northeast Mississippi. Yeah. That sounds like one that may have been bought up for <laughs> time. Our car disclosed up to the stores. But, right, well, no that. answer there. But. <laughs> we'll, we'll look into that one. Yeah. Though. I'll, yeah. I'll say, because now, now I'm curious. Um, I'm sure there are industry analysts who have put a lot of money into this. And I'd also be curious to see behind the scenes, you know, who, the ownership structure. The ownership structure. Exactly. That's what yeah, Kroger is, is not making it just based it, on Kroger's yeah. alone. They, and, yeah. and it could be like, you know, just the same people own like, Several regional grocery stores, and they they sort of manage them similarly, but the they, for branding reasons and loyalty reasons, they haven't rebranded them. Yeah, I feel like the story has moss written all over it. Yes, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll dig into this. <laughs> <laughs> And 
that is all for this edition of The Winnow. We recorded today's episode in the freezing cold podcasting studios at the Post and Courier Building in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. If you enjoy listening to The Winnow, please help other listeners find us too. Just go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcasts and like us or leave a rating. The Winnow is a production of The Post and Courier and Palmetto New Media. Our producer today was the... Vic Card carrying J. Emery Parker. Oh, hell yeah. And our theme music is by the Bluestone Ramblers. Until next time, I'm Robert Moss. And I'm Hannah Raskin. Now get out there and eat. Thank you.